Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 18. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you not, shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not move even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put obstacles in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I will, am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of the right of my gospel. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us. Father, uh, we trust your word. We believe in the authority of your word. And so, Father, would we, as we engage in our minds and our hearts in your word this morning, would you speak to us? Would you instruct us? Would you correct us? Would you challenge us? Would you uh, help us to see Jesus? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, it's so, so good to be back with you. I'm sure that many of you didn't know I was gone. Um, maybe, maybe some of you don't know who I am. If that's you, my name is John, and I'm on staff here. And I've been away for a good few weeks now. Um, Sarah and I, Sarah, my wife, and I took the boys back to the UK to see my family. And we had a lovely trip, despite a number of my extended family members getting COVID while we were there. So it was a very disrupted uh, trip. Uh, we made it back about two weeks ago, only to find that the day after we got back, Sarah got COVID, and so we had to isolate for another 10 days. Uh, so it's, it looks like I've been slacking, but I haven't. Um, I've been isolating with jet-lagged children, um, which is hard. Uh, that's the reason I've been away. But it is so good to be back with uh, you this morning. Um, one of the things that was nice about our trip, thanks for asking, um, was that my older brother, Dave, 
David, but I call him Dave. Uh, he's recently planted a church in uh, a neighborhood in, in the UK. And so one of the joys of our trip was that we got to go and visit that church plant and see all that he's doing there. And we had a lovely time, but I think it would be fair to say that the neighborhood that my brother has planted in is not a very glamorous place. Uh, I actually read a journalist describing the area, and he, he called it an impoverished ghetto. He described the residents of this area as vigilante-minded people. And he said, and I quote, I feel desperately, desperately sorry for the community. <laughs> That's the area that my brother has planted this church and um, actually, a number of other church plants have, have tried to happen in that area, and they failed. Apparently, the soil is tough in that area. Uh, but my brother, he's, he's kind of built for that tough soil. And um, over the past year, he's been working with other established churches to, to try and build something in that neighborhood. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because you asked. No. Because you want to know how my trip went. No. I'm telling you this because, interestingly, it reminds me of our text this morning. You know, one of the things that, that me and my brother talked about when, um, when I was over there was that when you plant a church in a, an impoverished ghetto, it's very unlikely that the contributions of your congregation are going to support a salary. And my brother is, is, is trying to figure out ways in which to support it. So he's got external support from other churches. And, and frankly, he's taking a very, very humble salary in order to make this happen. Now, I've got permission to say that. He's taking a very humble salary in order to make it happen. And the reason it reminded me of our text this morning is because on the surface, our text today seems to be about paying our pastors, paying our pastors. Should we or should we not pay our pastors? Now, obviously, this is a minefield. It's not for you, for me. If I don't get this right, I could be out of the job. In the first half of our text, Paul seems to make a case that the church should pay its pastors. Maybe I'll end today with a special offering. <laughs> the gift table is open at the back. <laughs> then it turns, doesn't it? Halfway through our text, in the second half, Paul spends time justifying why he doesn't get paid. All the pastors get nervous. Maybe I'll end today with a different special offering. Brett and Sam and myself and others, we can, we can go to the gift table and just give it all back. What is actually going on here? Well, I think a text like this, and you, you saw it read, is a tough text. There's a lot going on there. And actually, uh, it requires a bit of work for us today. And so um, hopefully we're going to do that. We need a bit of context in order to understand what's going on. And I, I want to argue that there's more going on here than simply a justification whether or not we should pay our pastors. So what's happening? As we know, the Apostle Paul is writing back and forth with this fairly, let's call it what it is, fairly dysfunctional church in Corinth. 
And what appears to have happened is that some people in the congregation have been questioning whether or not Paul is a legitimate apostle or not. And apparently one of the reasons that they've, they've questioned this is because Paul made his money not from preaching, but from making tents. Paul was a tent maker. He was a laborer. He earned his living making tents. And, and this apparently was, was a problem. First, it was a problem because working with your hands in, in Corinthian culture would have been considered demeaning. But more importantly, the fact that he didn't get paid for preaching implied that he was maybe not good enough or not respected enough or he didn't have the authority that he claimed to have. The fact that he didn't get paid for preaching said something about his status and his authority in Corinth. You see, traveling philosophers and teachers who were any good or who were worth their salt, they, they would have got paid for it. Even the other apostles he, he mentions get paid for preaching the gospel. So the fact that Paul didn't get paid put his authority as an apostle into question. This is really what this text is about. And in response, Paul, naturally, having had some examination of him, some accusations against him, he defends himself. But I want to argue that his defense is more than simply a defense of his apostleship. I think what we're going to see is, is maybe some biblical principles about how we as Christians should, should live. Paul is going to use his particular situation as a teaching moment for the church. You know, Paul, he's a good pastor. He never misses a teaching moment. And so here's what I want to look at today as, as the three things, the three biblical principles of the Christian life that are not just true for Paul, but also true for us today. And here, here they are in, in long form. Number one, we should get what we deserve. We should get what we deserve. Number two, there are times when you should give up what you deserve. And number three, we always get more than we deserve. Here are the three points this morning in short form. Number one, getting what we deserve. Number two, giving up what we deserve. Number three, getting more than we deserve. Okay, so first, getting what we deserve. In 2017... Uh, it was the summer actually before Sarah and I moved to Vancouver. Uh, there was a big scandal in the UK. And what happened was that the UK government forced the BBC, which if you don't know is, this, is the large national broadcasting institution, they forced the BBC to publicly release the salaries of all of its employees, all of its top earners. And what became apparent pretty quickly was that women were getting paid substantially less than men for the same job. So there were two, two co-hosts of a TV show and the woman was getting paid less than the man for exactly the same job. Same job, different pay. Now I realize this is a controversial topic. It's very controversial and it's complex and there's many variables and I don't want to talk about it anymore. But the reason that I bring it up is because I think what this moment did and the, and the subsequent uproar that ensued from it was that it exemplified for us a collective distaste for anything that feels unfair. 
And I'm sure there's lots of other examples that you can think of. This, this collective distaste for anything that feels unfair. I think it would be fair to say that there is a collective distaste when people don't get what they deserve. Similarly, there's a collective longing, isn't there, in all of us for people to get what they deserve. We want, don't we, to get what we deserve. When growing up, I had brothers. And so when my parents would dish out the food, it was a matter of family peace that we all got exactly the same size portion of food. There is no greater injustice, is there, as a child than a slightly smaller slither of cake. If you were to describe the opening verses of 1 Corinthians 9, they could be described as a robust argument for what Paul deserves as an apostle. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He begins in these opening verses by arguing that he is, in fact, by definition, an apostle. He is one who has been sent by God, sent by Jesus to tell people about Jesus. And the evidence for this is the church. They're the evidence of his apostleship. They're his workmanship, his, his seal of apostleship. He's saying, look, people are saying, I'm not an apostle. Look at you. you. I am an apostle because your evidence that I have been sent by Jesus to tell people about Jesus because you know Jesus. And then he builds the layers of his argument. And you'll notice his question after question after question, layer after layer after layer. Farmers eat from the crops that they sow. Soldiers get paid for the work that they do. Gardeners eat the fruit, of the, uh, fruit that they plant. Shepherds drink the milk of their flock. And to cap it off, he says, look, Moses and Jesus say it. That's like the final argument. Moses and Jesus both affirm that we should get, that I should get what I deserve. What Paul layers together is a robust argument that he, as a legitimate apostle, should get paid. But more than that, I think we, we could say that what he lays out for us is a robust argument of this broader principle of what we might call fairness or even justice. And what he's saying is that this, this principle of fairness, of, of getting what we deserve, is, is hinted at in nature. It, it's hoped for in human culture. And it's ultimately affirmed and ratified in Scripture. You know, you know, for us as Christians, Scripture gives credence to our longing and our hope for fairness, for, for justice. In fact, it points us to where we might find a grounding for it, a reason for it, a rationale for it. From Moses to Jesus, the Bible affirms over and over that it is just and right and in accordance with the way God intends things to be that we get what we deserve. If you read the book of Proverbs, it often talks about things like a just balance or an honest scale. 
Justice, it seems, is, is woven into the very fabric of creation. It's imprinted on, on human consciousness. And the Bible tells us that this is because creation is woven together by a just God. So to our longing to get what we deserve, the Bible replies, it's good and right that you get what you deserve. We should reap what we sow. We should get out what we put in. And in Paul's case, it meant that he should get paid for preaching the gospel. But for us, obviously, this principle has, has a much, much broader application. At the very least, it means that in the job that you do, you, you should get paid fairly for the work that you do. It means that if you're an employer, you should pay your employees fairly. Obvious point of application. If you don't, then you can repent. And on Monday, you can make it right because you're a Christian. We should get what we deserve. Number one, getting what we deserve. Number two, the harder part, giving out what we deserve. So Paul argues for his rights, to which we as 21st century Vancouverites go, yes and amen. But then he says, confusingly, and maybe frustratingly, but I've decided to lay down those rights. Having built a case that it would be just and right to get paid for preaching the gospel, he says that he has chosen to surrender his rights, to let them go, to, to forego them. And the question for us should be, why? Why, having, having built such a strong argument, even invoking the words of Jesus to affirm what he deserves, does he lay down his right to get paid? That's the question of the text, I think. If you were around last week, um, and even if you weren't, last week we were in chapter 8. We're in chapter 9. Last week we were in chapter 8. And last week, Brett talked about food offered to idols. And it can feel, can't it, today that we are just talking about a completely different topic. Food offered to idols, paying your preachers. It's like, how much more tangential can Paul be? You can feel as if Paul has moved off from the topic, but actually chapter 9 is a continuation of this same topic that he was talking about last week. It's this idea, that, this broad idea that is being borne out in specific examples that on occasion in the Christian life, there is a requirement for us to lay down our rights for the sake of others. But I do think it is worth saying that there is a way to misunderstand chapters 8 and 9 and actually subsequent chapters about laying down our rights. There's a way to misunderstand it and it's to think that the call of the Christian is just to arbitrarily lay down what we deserve. As if the whole point of the Christian life is to, is to give up what we deserve. As if we as Christians have in our possession the strongest arguments for justice and fairness, but, but we are called as Christians to, to give ourselves to being treated unjustly and unfairly. This is not what Paul is saying. You see, for Paul, laying down his rights is not an arbitrary decision. There's a very, very intentional reason behind it. Look at verse 12. So he's built this huge argument. 
And then a, a hinge word comes, nevertheless. Nevertheless, he says, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul is saying that his motivation for laying down his rights is to ensure that nothing, absolutely nothing, gets in the way of people hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not that Paul didn't want to get paid. It's not that Paul didn't deserve to get paid. It's that Paul considered the gospel of Jesus so valuable that he was willing to endure anything. He was willing to let go of anything. He was willing to forsake anything for the sake of others hearing it. You see, for Paul, rights are great. Rights are great. He spends 11 verses arguing from Scripture that they are great. Rights are great, but for Paul, the gospel is greater. Biblical scholar Gordon Fee, he puts it like this. When it becomes a choice, therefore, between his rights and others hearing the gospel, there is no choice at all. Anything that would get in the way of someone's hearing the gospel for what it is, the good news of God's pardoning grace, can be easily laid aside. Christ City, this text isn't primarily about what we're called to give up. It's about what we're called to give out. It's not primarily about us giving up our rights. It's primarily about giving others Jesus. And ironically, it's this that legitimizes Paul as an apostle. You see, the Corinthians thought that, that Paul getting paid would authenticate him as a legitimate apostle. But what marked him out as one called by Jesus, as one sent by Jesus, was that he was willing to let go of everything for the sake of sharing Jesus. For Paul, nothing, absolutely nothing, gets in the way of people hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, another question, I think an appropriate question at this point is, how? How can, how can Paul's right to get paid be an obstacle to the message of the gospel? You know, I understand, John, that, that we may have to give things up for the sake of Jesus, but, but why does Paul have to give up his paycheck, you know? Why does Paul have to give up his paycheck? I mean, doesn't, doesn't Moses teach that he should get paid? Doesn't Jesus teach that he should get paid? And interestingly, isn't that what Paul did in the church in Philippi? He got paid by a church then. Isn't it what he taught Timothy? In 1 Timothy 5, it says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So why now, in this situation, does Paul see a conflict between his right to get paid and the gospel he proclaims? And I think the answer, again, requires us to look at the context, do a bit more digging. One of the things we know about Corinth is there was lots of preachers and teachers floating about. We knew that there was, there was other preachers of the gospel who were proclaiming this free gospel of grace. But, but what had happened because of the nature of Corinth is that it became quite lucrative. In Paul's second letter to the same church in Corinth, 
Paul speaks about teachers who peddle the word of God for profit. Preachers and teachers who use the gospel to create for themselves platforms, to increase their profile, to, to gain their wealth. Now, unfortunately, we don't have to look very far, do we, to see that kind of thing happening today. You know, it's the, it's the Advent giving campaign that is for the pastor's Ferrari. And, and it, you know, you justify it with verses that we see in this text. We've, we've sown spiritual things among you. Should we not reap material reward? In fact, make that two Ferraris because we're worthy of double honor. What we see in our text is a contrast to what we might call these prosperity preachers in Paul. Look at what Paul says in, in verse 18. What then is my reward? A Ferrari? No. That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What's he doing here? What's Paul doing? You see, Paul knew something that we all know. He knew that we can preach a message and deny it with our lifestyle. He knew that his life had the potential to either complement or contradict the message that he was trying to share. He was either going to be a window to Jesus or a, or a wall to Jesus. His life was either going to be evidence for, or an illustration of, or analogy of, or a demonstration of the good news that he preached, or his life was going to subvert, or contradict, or distract from the message that he was preaching. And Christ said, yeah, I think this is the challenge for us today that is built within this text. Are our lives living, breathing illustrations of the gospel? Or do they subvert the message that we profess to believe? Are we windows into the good news? Or are we walls to the good news? Do we say something with our mouths and deny it with our lifestyle? How we organize our lives and our, our businesses, how we treat our neighbors and our co-workers, how we raise and discipline our kids, how we manage our finances and our time, all of these things, are they distractions from the gospel? Do they subvert the message that we try and share with our neighbors? Or do we give generously? to speak of a generous God? Do we go to great lengths to show the love and the mercy and the kindness and the patience of Jesus? To embody the great lengths, the kindness and the mercy and the love that Jesus has shown us? Christ City, are our lives demonstrations of the inbreaking kingdom of God? You know, my dad, he's a legend, obviously. Um, but he didn't grow up a Christian. And when he was a young man, he, was actually, uh, he would actually gamble quite a lot. He would say that he was a gambling addict. And it got to the point where he, uh, he got himself into a sizable debt, a debt that he, he couldn't figure out how to repay. And while he was at university, he became friends with a Christian. It's always dangerous. And this Christian found out that my dad was in gambling debt. He wasn't wealthy, 
But he paid it off. But he paid it off. He paid off my dad's gambling debt. And as a result, that combined with the proclamation of the good news that Jesus has paid our debts, this proclamation and this embodied illustration together, my dad became a Christian and, and I'm forever indebted to that, <laughs> that action. See, my dad didn't just hear about the saving work of Christ on his behalf. His friend enacted it by way of analogy. His friend's life was a, a living, breathing illustration of the gospel. It was a window into the message that he professed to believe. And as a result, my dad came to Christ. And this is the call for us today. As Christians in our week, we have opportunity, don't we, to be, to be an illustration of the gospel Christ City, would we be windows and not walls? Would we complement our message with gospel illustrations that make sense of the good news of Jesus? Number one, getting what we deserve. Number two, giving up what we deserve. Number three, getting more than we deserve. I think it's worth saying at this point that giving up what we deserve isn't easy. It's an obvious point, but it's very real, isn't it? Giving up what we deserve isn't easy. It can sound nice on paper and maybe nice in a sermon, but, but day to day throughout your week, giving up what you deserve, it costs you, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe you're feeling this right now in, in, in relationships that you're in, in decisions that you've made in order to try and share the gospel with someone. You're trying to model the gospel and you're, you're finding it hard. And I think, you know, that's because it is hard. It can almost feel like an injustice, can't it, when we give up our time and our energy or our resources for the sake of the gospel. You know, it's great to tell the story of my brother planting a church in a deprived, impoverished ghetto. But when I was talking to him, I couldn't help but thinking, I want him to get what he deserves. I don't want his family to struggle. It's great that Paul doesn't take a salary for the sake of the gospel. It's great, but it feels like a, a huge injustice, doesn't it? That the apostle Paul has to work day and night, it says in 1 Thessalonians. He has to work day and night. He's doing a day job and a night job, making tents in order to share the gospel. He's like, come on, guys. What an injustice. It's hard. It would have been hard on Paul. So how can we do it? How can we give up what we deserve? How do we find in ourselves the strength to do it? Let me end this morning with three thoughts, three ways that I think will help. The first is this. First is remembering what we have already received. You know, when I was a teenager, my older brother Dave, he was not pastor material. Let me just say that. He was a disaster if you saw him now and then you saw him then, you'd be like, there's two different people. Apart from that, he's got the same sunken eyes. <laughs> Seriously, he went off the rails as a, in his late teens. He was heavily into drugs. 
He hung out with some really horrible, horrible guys. In fact, one of his friends is serving uh, two life sentences for double murder. I remember him coming home one night and he was covered in blood. And I remember thinking, is that his or is that someone else's? He was a mess. My, my parents were terrified. It was the darkest moment in our family's history. Got to the point where, for the sake of the family, my dad had to kick him out of the home. and It was the hardest thing he ever did. To cut a very long story short, God, in his mercy, radically saved him. One day, miraculously, my Parents' prayers were answered. And let me encourage you, if you're a praying parent, keep praying. God freed him from addiction, spiritual bondage, turned his life around. He went from darkness to light, from death to life. When I talked to him, as I did this week, asking permission to tell his story about the sacrifices that he's made to plant a church and the sacrifices that his family are making currently in order to make this thing happen, you know what he said to me? John, where would I be without the good news of Jesus? Where would I be without the good news of Jesus? You see, as Christians, we don't begin from a place of entitlement, do we? We we don't begin asking God for what we deserve because we know that that's a dangerous prayer. We begin from a place of, of grace. We begin from a place of knowing that in Christ we have received more than we deserve. Where would we be without the good news of Jesus? Cressity, if you're struggling to lay things down for Jesus, remember the good news of the gospel. that He laid it all down for you. How can we find the strength to give out what we deserve? First, remembering what we have received. But secondly, is knowing what we will receive. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a famous story. It's one of my favorite gospel stories. And Jesus is talking to a rich young man. And Jesus challenges him to give up his wealth. And I'm sure many of you know the story. And the young man, unfortunately, can't bring himself to do it. It's one of those stories where the rich young man has been, has gone down in history as this kind of like baddie. But in reality, it's one of those things that we all know. If we were faced with that question, if Jesus gave us that question, it would be a tough one to answer. It's the perfect example for us, I think, of how hard it is to give things up that we feel like we deserve. And it remains to this day one of the most challenging Bible stories. But as with the Bible, it's often important to just just keep reading a little bit. Just, Just keep reading. In those struggling, challenging bits, just keep reading. You see, after this encounter, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and Peter, as he always does, pipes up. It says this in Matthew 19, verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. 
but many who were first will be last, and the last first. Church, let the words of Jesus sink deep today. Anything you give up for him will be repaid a hundredfold. Anything you give up for Jesus will be repaid a hundredfold. See, it's not just remembering what we have received, but we can find strength in the promises of what we will receive in Christ. How do we find the strength to give up what we deserve? Remembering what we have received. Remembering what we will receive. And third and last, and I think the whole sort of impulse of this passage it's knowing what they will receive. It's not only us who get more than we deserve. It's our friends and our families and our co-workers and our neighbors. When we share this gospel, when we, when we don't put a hindrance to the gospel, the motivation for the Apostle Paul is not only that he has received the love and the forgiveness and the promises of Jesus, it's that he desperately, desperately, desperately wants others to know it too. Would you stand as we respond?